We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie here with Mario Puig. Last time out, we were talking from our bunker, underground bunker, talking about our instant reactions of the NFL Combine. And now we've had a few days and you've had some time on the best ball scene here to see in real time what the market uh, adjustments have been uh, since the combine numbers have come in, the winners, the losers, and so on and so forth, and how that has shaped the market. So that's what we're going to be talking about mostly today is talking about the rookie shifts. Uh, Mario, your article is up on the site right now, and we're also going to talk a little bit about some general uh, best ball market shifts with, with some of the veterans as well. Yeah, with the combine done and that the general matter of athletic testing done with it, I'm kind of moving some of my focus to best ball stuff and I started with the rookies with that article and going to generalize to the to the broader scene from there because it's interesting to look at where some of these guys are going now and like comparing well who are the who are the veterans that they're going ahead of or behind now and uh, some some of it's some of it's stuff that I look at and I just know at a glance like oh I don't agree with that I I know what I'm fading here I know what I'm attacking here Uh, and some of it's not as obvious but uh so some of the maybe the one of the tougher questions we can I guess start at the top uh, with the most expensive guys, uh, the ones with the highest expectations. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, uh, he's he's you know this has been kind of a Jonathan Taylor podcast for about a month That's or true. so. Uh, so we we saw pretty much exactly what we expected with the combine. Uh, not so much the two twenty six way, and I thought Taylor would be like more. 219 220 something like that but the 439 is what he was supposed to do so uh it didn't change anything for us but for some reason uh, you know you'd, you'd think this would have stopped especially after last year with like the hardman incident but it's like man they're just not listening for some reason and uh we told them what was going to happen with jonathan taylor and aj Dillon, but they just didn't listen um so with them not listening ahead of time they are 
kind of scrambling in response and, and changing some things in light of this. No good take goes unpunished. Yeah, this this is new information to them, but uh, you know, self inflicted basis. It, it didn't need to be new information, but uh, the the market is responding all the same. And uh, whereas before the the combine workouts, Jonathan Taylor was going around on average the fortieth pick. Uh, so I guess that's early fourth round. He now is is pushing into more so the second round range. Like I just took him uh, last night actually in a draft, a best ball ten tournament draft. Uh, they're big tournaments to be clear uh they're they're doing uh, some kind of pre-draft like big tournament uh best ball 10 format and i was drafting there took taylor at i had the second pick where i took saquon so whatever the the whatever the second round pick uh for the second overall pick is that's where i took taylor so Uh, not not to derail you too much but it, contextualizing it for last year, Josh Jacobs, a guy who went in the first round of the NFL draft, he was going around a full round later than what Taylor's current ADP is pre-draft. Yeah, that was uh, so. F- for me, I was personally pretty skeptical that ta- uh, that uh, sorry Jacobs was going to go in the first round because his pro day was trash, mm-hmm. and um, I I don't I don't know if he would have gone in the first round if it wasn't for the Raiders having three first round picks and basically getting bored by the time the third one showed up and being like eh, running back, I guess we don't, we took everything else by now. Um, so yeah. And, and of course Jacobs had a really good rookie year. Um, I wonder though, I wonder how the market will uh, ultimately shape both, both in the, the drafting scene and with the NFL scene with Taylor, because like there's, this is still a volatile situation and it is risky objectively to take him as high as I've been taking him and, and where his price tag is generally headed. But it's one of those risks that I, th- I think you just need to seriously consider taking it at least occasionally anyway, because if Taylor goes to the perfect spot, he could lead the league in rushing yardage this year. Like he's that good of a player in my opinion. Uh, so part of answering the question from my point of view about, you know, how to, how to, how to grapple with, uh, Taylor's price when, you know, looking with past examples like Jacobs, for me, it's just that Taylor's a much better player. Mm-hmm. I think he's a clearly much, much better player than Josh Jacobs. And, uh, Jacobs, he's, he's good. I was, I was too low on him perhaps, but, uh, I think you'll see his, uh, production, uh, kind of regress a little bit in rushing average terms. Like I think he's good, uh, but I think he'll settle in more as like a 4.4 yards per carry kind of running back over over a longer sample. Uh, whereas with Taylor, I, I think this is one of those you know Nick Chubb, Jamal Lewis kind of cases. Uh, I'd, I'd even, I would probably compare him uh, not not in like a one to one sense. It's it's more like a you know 70 percent of it lines up, but it's still the closest match for me. I would have to say the closest match for Taylor Comp is Adrian Peterson from my point of view. It's it's not quite the same because Peterson was six foot one, two twenty or so. Uh Taylor is more densely built. He's five eleven, two twenty six, but this kind of rushing ability just doesn't really happen that often. What, and what was um the the line in from DiCaprio and Django? Like you had my curiosity, now you have my attention. Oh, I, <laughs> I actually do not know the line, but uh yeah, it's it's I, the, the reason I thought of this is because PFF, uh, Mike, is it Mike Renner? One of Mike the Renner, okay. Yeah. I think it was him. I, I apologize if I'm misattributing this. I think it was his article with PFF that identified Demarco Murray as a comparison for Jonathan Taylor, and I think that's that's just not correct on any particular front, really. Um, but I get it in the sense of like if you if you're just trying to make the general point of like good running back who is fast and is you know 220 pounds it's like yeah he checks those boxes i guess will um, lead the lead in, in rushing at least once yeah i guess there's that uh but it's like jamarco murray it, it feels like an underhanded compliment almost. um well i think i think it was a calculated comparison yep. based on, that was kind of piggybacking on the recent uh nfl.com post about uh how some scouts were saying uh, we don't think Taylor has enough wiggle as a runner. Stupid. It's a stupid, stupid, nonsense thing to say. But uh, it, it was a narrative that caught on a little bit. And I think they looked at that and and remembered correctly that DeMarco Murray was written off as a guy who didn't have enough wiggle. I remember that very specifically. People said, oh, he's too straight line. Doesn't have. It's like, t- you know what, guys? Just don't forget this. When you're over a certain weight threshold and you have a certain amount of speed, you can be a linear runner because you keep killing them linearly when you're that fast and strong. It's it's a feasible formula. It's only a problem if you're not fast. Yeah, if you're like, Devin Singletary and you don't have wiggle, then it's a problem. 
Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of thing, and it's it's you know th- there's different ways to reach different sums, you know, and the and the sum of Taylor's effect on the game is pretty obvious because of the the unparalleled combination, or, you know, generally unparalleled combination of power, speed, vision, and we can reason that he has good vision because of the production that he has. It's like it's tough to quantify that; uh, you basically can't. But it's one of those things like if he had bad vision, he wouldn't have run the way he did because there are other guys who are similarly big and fast as him, but they didn't produce like him because they didn't have the other skill set components that bear out in production the way that it did over three years for Taylor. So um, it's the worst case scenario is that he gets drafted by some team where he's splitting carries uh, or probably not carries. He, he would be not playing on passing downs. Uh, but I think you saw with Derrick Henry in the Titans, it's like, if if you're good enough as a runner, you don't need, or I guess you could even say Nick Chubb, although I think Chubb still has uh, at least average pass catching upside. With Taylor, admittedly, I'm not that high on his pass catching upside in the NFL, but I don't think I'm going to care if he's running for 1,500 yards every time. There you go. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely in on, on him at, at his price. And you know, it, is there a threshold where you won't go Taylor? I'm like, pretty much right at the threshold right, right like now like because twenty or so. So I was hoping to get Miles Sanders with the pick that I took him there at. We yeah, go. That There's I took, the line. Yeah, with Taylor, uh, I think like I have him ahead of Kenyon Drake, who I think the ADP still has ahead of Jonathan Taylor. Um, yes. Like, pulling up the uh, the ADP on Best Ball tens since the second of March. Uh, Jonathan Taylor in this sample is 27th overall. I would have been taking him, I guess, at about 20th. Uh, so that that was that was where I had to stop. But it's uh, that part of my broader view this year is like I have to hammer running back at least right now, given the current market. I have to hammer running back really heavily in those first three rounds, both because the running backs fall off a cliff uh, pretty quickly, but also because wide receivers are just really deep this year, especially sure. in that kind of four through eight round range. It's like I would tr- I would like trade into that range if i could to get most of my wide receiver picks because there's there's guys like me you can get in the seventh eighth round it's like I, I i think there's like wide receiver two upside with with that kind of player and that kind of offense and i think in in like you know five years ago or something like that a wide receiver with that kind of situation wouldn't be going that late it's just it's kind of it's kind of a big field uh with with so many with like a three receiver base as kind of the standard nfl mm-hmm. offense now uh, you you have a like a wide range in that in that uh, four through seven spot. So um, in any case, I was I was willing to kind of reach a little bit for a running back at that pick because I just I thought like I'm going receiver later. I, I I'm taking a running back now or I'm not and, taking one. And there's a lot of like you said, there's a ton of good receivers that will be available later. And let's get into one of them right now. Uh, a guy who's penciled in as being wide receiver one or two, depending on who you ask. You know a. a fl- depending on what flavor of ice cream you like, basically, between Lamb and Judy. But let's get into Jerry Judy and his case uh, going around pick 83 now. So we saw a jump uh, for him despite, uh, like you mentioned in your article, a combine that was mostly a box checking as far as he was concerned. It's not like he blew it out of the water. He just did what he was supposed to do relative to expectations. Nothing that that he did in his testing was, was like 99th percentile, anything like that, but obviously nothing to knock him down. But now that we see the combine variable checked off for him, we've seen almost a full 10 pick upswing for him and it's to a range that I'll, um, and we'll, we'll get into this but there are some other receivers there that I'm probably going to be light on Judy if the price uh, remains the same for him or goes higher relative to some of these other uh, second third fourth year guys yeah so in the article at the time uh, Judy's ADP had been about 82nd overall uh, 83rd pick and uh, to be fair, it's it's slipped a little bit since then. It's gone a little bit closer to where it was before the combine. So before the combine, he was basically the 94th player. And in the past three days, he's only the 92nd. But I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of uh, goes a little bit back into the 80s, at least in some drafts. Uh, and uh, even if he's only 92, I still feel a little anxious about paying that price because I just feel like as much as I don't want to fade him as a talent, I, I really don't want to fade him as a talent. Um, I feel like that price is giving him a very thin margin of error because it's still ahead of Jamison Crowder, who he has durability concerns, but in PPR scoring like best ball tens have, I have zero concerns about Crowder. Generally speaking, like as best ball, I have I have only concerns about his durability. If a per game projection, I think he's one of the best values in that range. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, and imagine, sorry about the the Stu and Flem clear right there. Um, 
Imagine if Sam Darnold takes that step forward that we oh, yeah. that we that we kind of missed last year, and and he becomes the quarterback that we all expected coming out of USC. Then I mean Crowder Crowder way way outperforms this. Yeah, definitely, and it's it's Crowder. Um, who else? Oh, uh, well, part of it. Part of the thing. Part of the reason why I'm Robbie I'm, Anderson too. Uh, Robbie Anderson. I'm part of the reason I'm leery about paying the ninety second overall price for Judy is because CD Lamb is a hundred and first, and I have them. I have Lamb trivially further ahead of Judy in, in my rankings, but they're basically they're both two of the best receiver prospects in recent years to me, and I I, I don't put one ahead of the other, so I'm not going to price one uh, differently than the other when I have no reason to believe one's going to go substantially higher in the draft than the other. So uh, just as like a a general. I don't know. I guess just just like bargain sensibility. I'm going to take the cheaper of the two people, and that's Lamb for now. But uh, I I also don't have many. I think I only have like one share of Lamb because even his 101st uh, spot in the ADP, it's like I'm going with Mike Williams at 102. Generally, yeah. uh, I probably prefer uh, Will Fuller, who's down at 107 because it's best ball. Uh, redraft. That's a different question because yeah, I still expect Fuller to get hurt and be annoying uh inconsistency wise but it's best ball it's just it's just not a problem in this format but uh yeah judy and lamb both very very good prospects but i kind of need the landing spot variable accounted for before i'm willing to pay these sorts of prices and maybe i never get the chance maybe judy and lamb both go to like the ideal spots and their prices just get higher yet and i never Mm -hmm. get any shares that's totally possible the way it goes but I'm taking these veteran receivers instead. Sorry. Yeah, I think I think so too. And one, one guy, uh, the the ADP, he's one of the ones that was closer uh, when you wrote this article. Things have make a little bit more sense now. But there was a time just a few days ago where Judy was going like right next to or right before Marquise Brown. And it's yeah, like, I'm taking Marquise Brown ten times out of ten and not thinking twice about it. Yeah, it's like I think Judy's a better prospect, but we already know Brown is, or at least I think we have reason. To, to more or less know brown is good enough to be an above average nfl starter and he's in the ravens offense and we know how he can fit there and everyone uh, everyone from the ravens have said that like yeah he did this year on one foot so yeah imagine what two feet is gonna look like yeah and it's you know it's like even if judy's on the perfect team the perfect landing spot he, it's just hard to be as good as someone who isn't a rookie yeah it's so. not better than year two being the wide receiver one for lamar jackson so yeah uh judy's one of those guys that's like if, if the prices don't come down and lamb i guess if, if the prices don't come down a little bit i'm just not likely to get shares in the draft and uh in, in in these best ball drafts for now but if they go to a draft team uh, if, if in the draft they get selected by a team that kind of uh isn't one of everybody's favorite ideal landing spots i might buy then because then i'm just betting if it's if it's uh you know their current price basically looks to me like both the talent and the landing spot is presumed to be mostly favorable right and so far i only i only have reason to believe that the talent is so uh if the price drops to to the sort of range where it's like well the talent's good but we don't like the landing spot that's probably when I'm going to start buying these two rookie receivers. But in the meantime, I am admittedly anxious because I think they're both awesome. Uh, but I think these other veterans are pretty good too, and I'm not speculating on where they're going to play really. Yeah, I like some you know year two breakout candidates when it comes to receivers, and I'm a little bit more willing to dive in with both feet um, on rookie running backs. Um, but let's move on to another rookie uh, running back here we got AJ Dillon going a, a bit later here but someone that that you has obviously caught your eye for a while and he's been someone you've been collecting shares of uh, through the early Not stages enough. of the best balls but uh, let's get into it yeah so he was going about 226 233 or sorry 233 in the order 226th uh, in order on average and uh, I should have bought him in every single draft I should have took him in every single draft that I had because uh, uh, his price is even higher than this article the time that I posted it had jumped up to 168 so uh, basically 60 spots he had jumped uh, after the combine and it's only gone up he's up to 155 now in the past few days so that's getting into the kind of territory where even I'm like I don't know if I can buy anymore but then when I look at the other running backs that are available, it's like, actually, I guess I am still buying because 
there's just not much else available. It's yeah, basically it's, it's a dead zone. Yeah, it's like Jamal Williams, who I actually like, and I think people are underestimating. Uh, I, they're underestimating him both in the sense that Aaron Jones is clearly going to regress, uh, and and you know Jones has gotten hurt in the past too. So uh, Jamal Williams, I think, is a totally good pick in that range. Um, but it's basically just him. AJ Dillon now uh, a little yeah. earlier than them. There's this. There's Duke Johnson, but it's like I I, I like Duke, but I have no faith in how O'Brien's going to use him. So it's like I'm probably preferring Williams and and Dillon generally. So uh, the price is much higher, and and I look at it and I feel sick because I could have had so many more shares in the past. But I don't think that it makes sense to fade him right now uh, because if if you by, by like fading him now on the principle that oh well he was cheaper before it's like you're not necessarily getting the best player by that process what do you make of guys like boston scott and tony pollard going well ahead of aj dillon as it stands even with the new price tag baked in i get it in the pollard case especially in the tournaments because the appeal of pollard largely is to fade ezekiel elliott's health and if zeke gets hurt you know god forbid Pollard's all of a sudden like running back five or something like that. Yeah. So it makes sense to chase his upside because his upside scenario is way higher than Dylan, who as much as we love Dylan, he still isn't really going to catch passes in the NFL. It's like he he kind of needs to succeed as a runner. We have reason to believe he will. Uh, a lot of reason to believe he will, but there's just not as much of a ceiling possibility as someone like Pollard. I will probably take Dylan over Scott, though. And maybe I'm being too low on Boston Scott. Like I think he's a totally decent player, but um, I think if you look at last season's numbers uh, a like it's just generally difficult to produce like that as the second running back in an offense and uh, i think pretty clearly he had a couple best case scenarios occur uh, he had big games when miles sanders was playing but that's just reason for me to fade the projections based on those games because it's not it's not going to be easy to put up 20 fantasy points when sanders is healthy it's just it's just not mm-hmm. and uh, when you also look at it he had a couple he had like one or two games where he had efficiency that was much higher than the other ones uh and his like snap count volume went up in those games so i think it's pretty clearly funny numbers um but i do like scott in the sense like if if they don't have a third running back there uh sanders could get hurt and if sanders gets hurt then scott could be quite productive but i think the price right now is almost presuming that he's going to stay involved similarly to how he did last year, and I just don't think it's a fair expectation. All right, let's shift gears back to the receiver position, a guy that we were a little bit lower on if we were uh, recording this podcast a week ago right now. Um, But after a strong combine, Justin Jefferson uh, firmly back on the radar here uh, among the Rotowire guys. Um, So what do you make of him and his new price increase? Yeah, I think you can think of Justin Jefferson and Denzel Mims very similarly. They're both rising. Uh, They both did well at the combine. Jefferson a little more expensive, uh, quite a bit more expensive, I should say. Like He's kind of projected as a first-round pick more often than not, uh, whereas Mims I think could be a first round pick, but people are still sort of working their way toward that realization. I think um, Mims's price, uh, the 200s range, very affordable. Uh, he's right at 202. So he went up a little bit more than even uh, when I posted the article where he was more like 226. Uh, we'll see where it settles. Uh, I, I liked it at the 220 price, and I, I think I'm okay with 200 too, but that's that's a, that's a jump. That's, that's almost two rounds higher than he was uh, just about two days ago uh and in jefferson's case he's risen a little bit since i posted the article but only by about 10 spots so he was 171 uh at the time that i posted the article he's up to about 163 uh that's still 35 spots higher than where he was before the combine and in mims's case he's going 70 spots earlier than he did uh before the combine so two big jumps for two guys who could both go in the first round um Jefferson's price is a t- is a bit of a c- close call for me and and he could be fine like it it's he's skilled we know that and he tested better than we thought he would athletically so there's not much to really worry about with him but at 163 uh that's still uh, that's the 13th round and he's going ahead of uh guys like T Higgins uh, understandably so um but I I think T Higgins is still the better player um I'd probably rather have Paris Campbell even and he's going a few rounds later um but yeah J- Justin Jefferson if he goes in the first round I could regret it uh, cuz he could go to a team like the Eagles and be a starter right away play 800 snaps something like that and if he does he'll probably be fine but in the meantime 
I would rather take James Washington a few picks earlier because he's a third-year player coming off an 800-yard season. Um, I ex- not that the Ben Roethlisberger situation is is uh, stable or anything, but, but uh, neither is. This couldn't have been much worse last year as far as oh, being totally. a receiver for Pittsburgh. Um, totally, and I, th- I'd, I also probably prefer Tyrell Williams just because he was quite productive before he had his foot issue last year. So uh, Jefferson, I will say I'm closer to to buying in at this price than I was Judy and Lamb at their prices. But I still think, generally speaking, someone is going to like him more than me. Okay, that, that's a really good way of framing it there, where it's like, a, I like him fine enough, but there, there probably is going to be the, the Jefferson truther that was on him, maybe even like, you know, before the combine type of guy that was only, the takes only got stronger uh, from from there and, and will bump him up their draft boards and be willing to take him over like the Tyrell Williams types. Uh, let's get to one more riser here before we get to the guys whose ADPs have suffered a bit, and that's Anthony McFarland out of Maryland. Turned in the, the most impressive score from his uh, combine was the 4-4-4 in the 40-yard dash, so uh, stamped uh, the speed uh, that was very evident on tape in, in a way that, you know, his teammate Javon Leak uh, was unfortunately not able to do. Uh, that's a different discussion, I guess. But now McFarland feels like he's a guy who is probably going to be one of the first five, six, maybe seven running backs off the board. I'm, pro- I'm projecting him at running back eight, but that still is for me a third, fourth round kind of range. So a uh, wide range of outcomes possible if that happens, because he'd probably be a backup on the depth chart wherever he goes, but he could get pass catching work. Uh, he could be explosive on a per touch basis. The starter could get hurt. Uh, there, there's reasons to buy into Anthony McFarland even at his new price. I think he'd have to get to the 200. I don't know the 18th round. He'd basically need to start going in regularly before I start to even notice the price. Because right now you can still get him in the 20th round. And uh, it, there, I think in light of his 4.44 at 208. It makes sense to get him in at least on a diversification basis, which is that's what I'm doing. I'm not like trying to get him in every draft because the floor is, you know, the basement like mm-hmm. he um, I, I think he's a better prospect than Justice Hill. But a the NFL might not agree and B Justice Hill only had 300 yards last year. So uh, that that's the kind of you know risk that we're talking about by here. But 20th round, you can't really do that much better in the 20th round. Basically, what I'm doing uh, if I'm picking a running back is I'm diversifying uh, loosely between McFarland, Lamar Miller, uh, Travis Homer, and uh, I guess those three for the most part. Um, and I'm, I'm going receiver sometimes, defense sometimes. That's generally uh, what I'm doing in the 20th round. But I'm not going to try to get like 50% Anthony McFarland. Okay, yeah, there, there's no real point in that. You want you want something a little bit more bankable at that range. I mean, would you go a different? position obviously but would you go after one of like the younger quarterbacks would you go after like a Dwayne Haskins at pick 235 uh so I generally try not to put myself in the position of being a Dwayne Haskins buyer I did in one draft recently just because I I needed three quarterbacks because I Baker Mayfield was my quarterback one uh Gardner Minshew was my second quarterback so I was like I need to take another shot at quarterback these it could go pretty wrong with the first two quarterback room yeah yeah definitely um but yeah I think uh generally I'm trying to take like a defense like Washington in the 20th round or a running back like McFarland or Homer or uh, Miller or a receiver like Muhammad Sanu uh, something like that Uh, because yeah Damian Harris at running back too I actually still uh, I think it's ridiculous how how people how lowly people think of him Uh, I will take him in the 20th round a good number of times before the before this uh, best ball tournament goes into motion nice i like that call on harris he's going to be an interesting uh, piece throughout draft season um I, I think i've seen on the twitter sphere uh some some people identifying him as one of their late round targets uh let's get into some of the guys who suffered in terms of their adp after uh the combine let's lead things off here with utah's zach moss who turned in the obviously disappointing 40 time but also has the asterisk of you know having an injured hamstring yeah uh, having injured his hamstring during the testing so to be fair his his agility drills were also really bad but the the hamstring excuse checks out for me because if you watch the tape of him running the 40 he actually does have a i think it's the right leg one of the legs is not extending the same as the other and if that's an act of some kind that he put on just to get an excuse for the bad numbers that he was going to run then that's a great act, and I'm almost Impressive. like, I don't care. You're such a good actor. We're introducing a new uh, 
axes in the running back grading formula and you're the best one we'll figure out some way to make use of this statue of liberty or something i don't know um but uh he looked like he was hurt and he ran a four six five or at least that's what the official adjusted time it was initially called a four seven two but still if you're 223 at five nine and you run a four seven two i think that could be good enough in itself that's probably like I don't know, I might be slandering Rudy Johnson, but that's probably what Rudy Johnson ran, something like that, and he had a couple big years for the bang- for the Bengals. Um, Zach Moss is a guy who, if you turn on the tape, his ath- his functional athleticism is beyond doubt. Like, he's not fast, but he consistently evades tacklers, and he is is shifty, he's he's punctual as a runner. Like, when generally, if there's an opportunity, he spots it and he, he attacks it uh, in a very effective manner, and it's like if he had truly like prohibitively bad athleticism i just don't think he could produce like he has at utah and i don't think he would look as good on tape as he does um so if people fade him and and it remains to be seen where his market settles it wasn't it hadn't fallen that much when i posted this uh and i i kind of took the liberty of listing him as like i'm anticipating the price drop more than i i can actually say it actually happened already but it has fallen a little bit more since then he's around 143 uh, in the past couple of days, he started out at 137, 138. Uh, I think it could fall further yet, but there's competing narratives. There's people like me who are saying like, no, he's still good. And there's other people, the people who uh, honestly probably haven't followed football as long and, and don't grasp the broader context of this whole, this whole weird ecosystem that we watch. They look at his numbers and they don't, you know, add the context, the, the contextual details and they go, uh, you know, this guy runs a four seven. He's got a bad agility drills. Uh, he he's clearly not good. Uh, no nobody is has a four seven two forty and has these agility drills and has been good in the NFL. And it's like yeah, but the numbers basically aren't legitimate. So don't don't fixate on those. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna dismiss Moss, I just think you need better reasons than those workout numbers and if he has a pro day where he's healthy you're just going to feel silly about it yeah i mean uh to a to a lesser extent because i I think that you know this was a a parsing discussion between like rb1 and rb2 a few years back with dalvin cook but he had like the relatively disappointing testing oh yeah his his jumps and agility drills were like basement level uh he he clearly just like screwed up with his training or something but that stuff does happen sometimes and Mm -hmm. other times guys for instance might run with a bad hamstring and if you look at the 40 tape uh, the 40 yard dash tape it sure does look like he's actually hurt so uh it looked the same as ronald jones like ronald jones pulled his hamstring at the combine uh he did that a similar thing where it's like his his leg just kind of stayed rigid straight and he's like kind of just fast pogo sticking in the last like uh 10 yards or whatever Anyway, if especially if Moss's ADP falls further into the 140s, I'm like going to buy on credit in that case because I I am pretty sure he's a good player and uh you know, I would have liked to have seen him test better than that certainly, uh but a 465 is an adequate 40 time for someone as dense as he is and there's reason to believe he would have ran more like a 46 flat if he hadn't been hurt. Okay. Uh let's move on to the the next guy here. We got a pair of receivers uh with Jalen Rager and T Higgins going different slightly different spots here. But. Yeah, so uh Rager and Higgins both have a lot of risk any rookie receiver will, but there's still a chance that one or both goes in the first round and I think if you especially if you wait a few days, I don't think their their ADPs are going to reflect that possibility. So, I'm not buying them right now, but that's only because I'm I'm kind of assuming wrong or not uh that they're going to slip further yet and I I'll specifically as wide receiver six type of picks I'm interested in these guys if, if I can get them a little cheaper yet, and I, I think I can. So that's where I'm at with Rager and Higgins. Um, the other, the last two guys that are fallers, one of them, Eno ben- Benjamin, uh, he's gone a little bit higher up in the last couple of days. Like he, he started at 210, fell to 234 when I was writing this article. He's back up to about 225, uh, still lower than the combine, which doesn't make any sense. And I was maybe his biggest skeptic going into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he showed up at 59207 after he was 59195 at the senior bowl and then he ran a 457 40 yard dash which is uh maybe it's like below average technically but for his game for his theory as a player it works it's totally good and then a 39 inch vertical 122 inch broad jump that's totally good because he was he was never supposed to be a fast running back it wasn't ever part of how he succeeded at Arizona State uh he, I basically think he's Edo Smith as a prospect but that's a lot higher than where i would have had him two weeks ago and uh 
Oh, Ito Smith. That's another one I'm taking in the 20th round. Uh, but yeah, Benjamin, he's a fair pick in the 20th round. I don't know if I'm going to get any shares. I probably should just because there's a chance he goes as high as the third round. Uh, there's a chance the NFL thinks he's better than Anthony McFarland, even though I emphatically disagree. Uh, but my opinion doesn't matter very much. So uh, Benjamin, someone to think about in the 20th round. And same is true of Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, who was way too high before the combine. Uh, maybe too low now he was at the 190 range people must have been taking him as like a running back three which is whoa not good <laughs> um but yeah he's he fell to 238 at the time of the article and uh i guess he's back up to 223 right now which is that's that's a reasonable range for him but uh he had a four five one forty at a weight nine pounds heavier than the senior bowl which is good uh so Keyshawn vaughn uh you know benjamin solidified themselves as round 20 options uh which i did not consider them before the combine so buying the dip basically on those guys a little bit yeah they're they're the kind of guys like i'm not really targeting them but i need to at some point confront the objective possibility that they get opportunities that i'm not a you know projecting for them um the opportunities are handed out usually on a random injury sort of basis so you know it's like being right three years from now about these guys is cool but we're we're doing we're doing best ball drafts for this year and i don't have a great argument to to say why we should assume mcfarland will have much better opportunity than benjamin or vaughn even though i think he's better than them Uh, i could be wrong and the nfl more importantly might just not agree with me there we go all right let's move on to some uh, more general best ball market discussion here so we'll include uh, some more veterans here so how do you how do you feel about your portfolio through what eight uh, best ball drafts so far yeah I'm, I'm doing it i'm about to finish an eighth one uh, i don't think it's showing up in the player share photos that i sent to you john so i think i think i got eight and i think seven have been finalized um i didn't look at i, I did i only loosely in the back of my head was keeping in tr- any track of the, the shares that i had so i was actually kind of surprised to, to pull up the numbers uh my most owned players uh my, my most owned player i should say because because there's a there's a glut of players who i've picked four times but the only player i took five times in my first seven drafts was blake jarwin um who i am high on so i was like oh that's good it would be concerning if i you know opened it up and all my highest owned players were players that i don't like um jarwin's i think adp could go up a little higher because especially after getting that second round tender as a restricted free agent uh that basically means he's going to start for dallas and if he's starting for dallas i think he smashes his adp because i think there's reason to believe that jarwin's probably one of um i don't know i could project him as high as like the tight end 10 and ppr scoring going into this year i think his best case scenario could be even higher than that and i think his worst case scenario is like tight end 14 or something and there, there are a bunch of other tight ends going roughly around him i mean you got guys like david and joku uh, you got O.J. Howard. Uh, that that's an interesting question right there. And you got you know guys like Jack Doyle as well. So that there's a lot of tight ends uh, going in that range. Yeah, I like uh, Ian Thomas enough as a prospect, and I think he's a reasonable pick at 121 or so. But I actually prefer Jarwin. Uh, he's at way back at 146, and I I think that's going to go up. So uh, maybe I'm like I can't see where I drafted him at unfortunately but I suspect it might be a little lower than his current ADP and I think his ADP is going to go higher yet certainly ahead of Njoku maybe ahead of um uh Ian Thomas but yeah definitely Njoku we don't even know for sure where Njoku is going to play this year you know so um along with TJ Hawkinson uh, at around the 110 range uh Jarwin is pretty much my my tight end target once you get past uh I don't know let's say Tyler Higby in the seventh round it's like if i don't pick him there if i don't pick one of the other ones before then i'm taking jarwin or maybe thomas or hawkinson after that okay then let's get on to uh your next highest owned guys the guys that you have in more than half of your leagues thus far yeah uh will fuller you know it's just kind of part of the brand i've, I've picked him four times and i often get him in like the about 10th round range which i think is just people being irrational like i get the risk with him but when you let him fall to the 10th round you're not exa- you're not acknowledging the upside scenario which he indisputably has yeah, there's a couple of weeks where he wins you your week yeah and even last year where he still had uh you know the he, he played through a sports hernia uh and he came into we, we kind of had unreasonably high or not unreasonably high but 
reasonably high expectations that he didn't get proper adjusted credit for later uh but he was coming back from an acl tear uh he had like a mid-season acl tear the year before Mm -hmm. uh he's probably going to have better health luck in 2020 there's just no reason to expect the worst case scenario to keep repeating with him so if if he's in better shape than he was last year and in last year's shape he could he still had 40 point fantasy games in in his abilities it's it's just an easy call in best ball like yeah granted if you have to choose ahead of time when to start will fuller that is a task that i don't want to deal with either it sucks but in best ball just isn't how it works so i will probably keep getting a lot of fuller if his price stays in that range uh another receiver the same number of picks as fuller is michael gallup i'm not i wasn't consciously targeting him um but it's it's just one of those things like because of my strategy of going receiver heavily in that uh round whatever six to eight range gallops one of those guys who's in that range gallops in that range adam thielen is sometimes in that range uh dj chark who i've picked three times is in that range uh who, who terry else mclaurin's right oh yeah terry well. mclaurin is in that range uh so i want like all of these guys and the only reason i'm not and it, it's like i hate picking them individually tyler boyd's in that range i hate picking them individually because i have to leave the other ones out there every time uh but yeah gallup I'll, I'll probably tap the brakes on him try to get more of those other guys just especially seeing now i've got gallup four times i, I think i only have feeling like once or twice i don't know if i have more than one share of mclaurin and i want to basically get them all evenly split so obviously with gallup with that many shares of gallup what do you think is driving the case for him to be justified going, you know, in in that specific range there? Oh, let me see what the latest. Is. So he's going 66th generally uh, over the last few days, which is a little bit behind Thielen at 62, McLaurin at 63, Robert Woods at 60. Also, quick mention, I want to buy him there too. Uh, so yeah, I, I want to get all these guys. The only one that I'm really fading in this range is Jarvis Landry, and that's not even specifically because I want to fade him as much as like I think his price uh is presuming a bad season from odell beckham which i don't think is going to happen so uh christian kirk at 71 want to get a lot of shares of that ty hilton at 74 that's that's where i think there's a drop off for me to john brown and julian edelman and aj aj green for differing reasons uh but uh you know health in the case of edelman and green and then offensive structure in brown's case that's that's kind of where the tier stops for me uh but gallup at 66 he's just kind of indistinguishable indistinguishable for me from uh Thielen and McLaurin it's like if especially if Cooper gets hurt then Gallup has like top 12 wide receiver upside but we saw last year even if Cooper granted Cooper was hurt at a few points but generally even when Cooper was healthy Gallup showed the ability to put up like top 20 receiver numbers and he's going into his third year made a big leap from his rookie year to his second year I just think the case is I just think it's there's a lot of evidence that he's a good receiver and I think Dak Prescott is one of the best quarterbacks so it's you know relatively simple process from there okay and then on the other side who are some guys whose adps you've seen that you just head scratch about thus far yeah i guess i should have uh, i don't have any debo samuel shares uh, he's going 58th i don't have any Devonte parker shares he's going 56 uh, can you believe this i don't have any david montgomery shares what you uh, he's, he's 54th huh. um how I, is he 54 after after the way things went last year like uh, i mean it's running back thirst it's like you take david montgomery 54th when you're going zero running back and taking receiver with your first three picks because then it's just like well there are no running backs other than david montgomery left so you're taking him there's probably the um, i wasn't wrong crowd also yeah uh but yeah david montgomery i still would take philip Lindsay over him and Lindsay's going a little later but uh yeah you're down to like Lindsay, cam Akers, raheem mostert so it, it people are taking kareem hunt 68th overall i don't know i don't know what like i guess they're hoping he signs with another team but i don't know but that would be like an entire market believing that yeah Which, i don't no, i don't really have. i don't really know i didn't know what people were thinking about cream hunt last year either so i guess it's just you know those same people or something uh i don't have any of dk metcalf who's going higher than uh, tyler lockett i love metcalf but i think people are wrong to project uh specifically a lot of like statistical volume growth because it's the structure of the offense that made him that made him limited last year it wasn't because he was a rookie i think he's going to be basically the exact same per snap producer next year the question is just kind of like 
does not Russell? Only, I, I, maybe that's just one of those things where there's not a ton of room for profit. But like, it, I mean, he's worth that top fifty pick. Oh yeah, it was like if you could tell me that Russell Wilson would throw for four thousand yards, then I would say like, oh yeah, I'll take Metcalf there. But uh, as much as I think Tyler Lockett has his certain limitations, just they're fighting over a small pie, and they're both really good players. The other one is not going to shrink to accommodate more room for the other one. So uh, I think I think Metcalf is bit quite simply just like priced at his ceiling, and I think he could generally hit it because he's a really good player and he's got a great quarterback but i i think a he has basically no margin for error and b everything if it goes perfectly i still don't think gives you an obvious profit opportunity like keenan allen's going 45th dk metcalf is going 47th if it's ppr scoring i I think that's just a market uh basically like a a valuation error like those two should not be two spots apart in my opinion interesting um but anyway um to to kind of uh oh i don't have any deandre swift who's interesting uh he's at 35th overall i'm just never going to take deandre swift ahead of guys like amari cooper and Cortland sutton i don't know if i could take deandre swift over mark ingram who's later at 40th um james connor i'm definitely taking james connor's going way too low in my opinion like i was not a super fan of his going into last year but going 43rd uh going just behind marlon mack going later than uh ingram Gurley. DeAndre Swift, Melvin Gordon. I don't get it. Like I, I think pretty obviously, like Connor just had some bad injury luck last year. And if he started, if he's healthy, he's their workhorse running back. Like Benny Snell is not going to take James Connor's work from him. Nope. Um, so in any case, uh, yeah, I have a good amount of Connor. I've targeted him, uh, Damian Williams at running back. I can imagine myself owning quite a bit of. Um, but yeah, I got uh, t- to go back a little bit. Um, to I guess to kind of give you a, a further. Uh, glance at, at how i'm building my teams i've got a lot of gardner Minshew, who i keep taking in like the 18th round i think he keeps falling there because people assume he won't start i'm assuming he will and maybe i'm wrong and i maybe every team that i picked him on in, in these best ball tens maybe they're doomed now because i don't have a backup quarterback but if he does start for the jaguars he's such an obvious bargain because he runs a good amount and uh it's the 18th round who cares he doesn't need to be good uh but he might be okay because he's got good receivers to throw to uh and he he runs quite a bit it's 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 something um it it, it matters uh so yeah i've got a lot of uh james connor uh three out of my seven teams Uh, i got a lot of mecole believe it or not three out of seven teams yes um so yeah some of this is not surprising to anyone who's had the misfortune of uh hearing me talk or 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 write but uh, i think um, yeah, I'm going to try to get a lot of me Cole as like a wide receiver three, ideally a wide receiver four, but uh, he goes in that eighth, uh, ninth kind of range where I'm also picking Will Fuller. So uh, it's just a shame. Like I, in an auction setup, it's like ideally I would get like a, you know, some killer running back one and then just kind of just buy like in bulk that that five through seven eight round range receivers and just get a bunch of them because uh yeah the worst part about picking those guys the worst part of that strategy is just kind of like the pain you feel uh by having to pass on the other guys because you could just like flip a coin as far as choosing them yeah i mean i I think that there were similar obviously the the market's so different now but like there was a similar range last year like i think late fourth early fifth round where like probably like the chris godwin cluster was yeah yeah, yeah. chris godwin dj moore calvin uh, ridley calvin ridley um all those all those type of guys um it was like i I like all those guys tyler boyd i think was in there it it was just like i hate having only one of those four guys so i I think that you you bring up a similar point uh this year different different names of course but a similar way that the receiver market is shaping up relative to the running backs yeah so uh, otherwise i guess like last parting uh, thoughts about what i intend to do with these best ball drafts uh i want to get more of Cortland sutton who i only have one of so far I want to get more probably Jamal Williams and Travis Homer and uh, just like this this is diversifying in the last couple rounds it's not like I'm like waking up in the middle of the night like oh my god I only have one Jamal Williams share uh but it's like I, I kind of want to get up to like 20% something like that to the other Packers fans we work with yeah i mean uh, everybody's going everybody's going crazy for aaron jones who i'm all by the way i have no shares i will not have any aaron jones shares unless his price drops a lot people are taking him like top seven ahead of nick chubb ahead of joe mixon it's ridiculous and i like aaron jones you know it's like i was one of the aaron jones original truthers and i'm it's like this is just you're waving him goodbye now 
Uh, yeah, uh, at least for a year. Like this, these are just kind of people are pricing him as if he's going to score like eighteen touchdowns. You know, it's like he's not. No. It's not going to happen. Nope. Um, but anyway, uh, I want to get some more of. Uh, let's see. Oh, Mark Andrews. I I didn't realize this until I was like four drafts into the, the best ball drafting season. But uh, he's going to be the tight end that I pick if I'm if I'm uh, like after Travis Kelsey, who you know can't can't rank anybody ahead of travis kelsey but i think mark andrews is my second tight end this year um he only played like 460 snaps still had 800 yards and 10 touchdowns uh i think he played such few snaps because of the injuries or in large part because of the injuries i think he would have played at least 600 snaps if he hadn't been hurt so i'm gonna i'm gonna assume he plays 600 snaps this year and i'm, I'm gonna take the uh 1000 yard i don't know 14 touchdown upside that comes with it uh, because I, I think guys like Ertz, uh, Kittle especially, but uh, I think they're priced pretty close to their ceiling, um, or at least I think Andrews' ceiling is higher than both of theirs, and I don't think it shows up in the ADP. Like I, I think uh, people are also overlooking Kittle's injury history uh, going back to Iowa. I love Kittle. He's like on a if you if you're asking me for like one snap which tight end i want in the nfl it might be kittle i guess it's him or kelsey um but i'm I'm preferring andrews especially at the lower price because i think they're similarly uh risky injury wise and i think um if if andrews stays healthy and plays 700 snaps he could do like gronk's 1300 yards 17 touchdowns yeah, i think, that kind I, think of thing. The, I think the ravens offense more explosive than, than what the niners have too and i think that andrews probably like it as could be like you said if he plays the the right amount of snaps there could be as big uh, a part of it in terms of the market share and w- if that all comes to fruition then yeah we're going to see double digit touchdowns again for sure yeah he uh, to do what he did on 460 snaps is just stupid because he he basically posted the same fantasy t- point total in ppr as Ertz did on 400 more snaps and there are times that he was doing it like on one leg yeah yeah so uh it's that's that's my in any case the bigger uh my bigger approach uh, i guess this year it's like if i'm not getting uh kelsey or andrews because of how the adp or how my draft slot you know i i, I know i like all these players and whether i pick certain ones has a lot to do with which spot i'm picking from um so yeah if i'm not if i'm paying high at tight end it's either kelsey or andrews probably and if i'm not taking one of them i'm probably doing the jarwin thing as you've uh, noticed I've, I've done quite a lot of there we go all right that's gonna wrap things up for this week's edition of the rotowire nfl podcast we'll be back next week talking free agent candidates here so stay tuned for that This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.